Jonah chapter 4, beginning from verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I, what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you... That, Excuse me, sorry. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from self-sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? The second reading is Romans chapter 2 and you can find that on page 796. Romans chapter 2. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realising that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence are doing good, seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile but glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, 
their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place in the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you, then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has a value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, they will not be regarded as though they were circumcised. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not, written, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Steve, it's good to see you. My name is Paul. If you haven't met mine, I'm the pastor here. Before I um, expand Romans 2, I want to offer a word of congratulations to Dave and Kate, who got engaged yesterday. Kate Gadsby and Dave Dingelstad. I want to give you a, a verse for your married life together. And it's Ephesians 5, verses uh, 1 and 2. It says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I pray that your married life together will be one living a life of love, giving glory and honor to God. Let me uh, pray. Give thanks for Dave and Kate and pray for our time in the scriptures. Father, thank you for the blessing of marriage and we thank you for bringing Dave and Kate together and pray that they would live a life of love, uh, honoring you, serving you and bringing you the glory. And we pray for our time together now, Lord, that you would inspire us by your spirit, uh, that your spirit would illuminate this difficult part of scripture, that we may see your goodness and we may see your righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to admit, Romans chapter 2 is one of those chapters where, as a preacher, I would love to give a hospital pass and maybe get a student minister up, give them Romans 2. It is a, a really tough part of Scripture, and I think it's tough because it teaches us about a topic that we don't like to hear about. Uh, many years ago, a Puritan preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards uh, preached a very famous sermon. And the title of that sermon was 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. People flocked to hear it, and people were converted by it. I can't remember having a, a title like that on our notice board outside, and I'm not sure that many would flock to hear it. Because we've kind of lost the, the wrath of God, the wrath of God from our, our gospel, from our, our gospel proclamation. Yeah, the gospel is about good news about Jesus. The gospel is about the power of God. The gospel is about God saving, but saving from what? Uh, think of these gospel statements. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Why? Why do you need a savior? Saving from what? If you miss out that middle third stage, we're all sinners facing, facing the wrath of God and in need of a savior. Suddenly, the gospel makes perfect sense. If you do not understand that you are facing the wrath of God, the anger of God, uh, then Jesus to you will just be somebody who brings you happiness, someone who brings you joy, someone who brings you contentment, someone who satisfies your loneliness, but not the one who actually rescues you and delivers you from your greatest need, which is called the wrath of God. Uh, this Tuesday night, uh, the whole of Australia, last Tuesday night, the whole of Australia filled out their census. Uh, and we all filled out that question, which is, what, what's your religion? Are you Anglican? Are you Baptist? Are you Catholic? Are you, what are you? I don't know what you put for that. I wanted to just cross it all out and put, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't care what religion you are. It's whether you follow Jesus that matters, because only Jesus can save. And so I'm really pleading with you tonight. If you're here tonight, please don't hide behind a religion card. Please don't say, oh, I'm Anglican because I was baptized in Anglican church, or I'm Anglican because I was married in an Anglican church, or you know, your cousin's uncle is an Anglican priest. Please don't hide behind a religion card, because it will not save you on Judgment Day. And please don't hide behind what I call the, the moral superiority card. Now, I'll be okay because I'm not as bad as X, Y, and Z. I was chatting to someone this week and they were saying, oh, you know, uh, those riots in London, oh, it's wicked, isn't it? All, all those young people, it's just totally wicked. And, and the tone of the conversation was, they're the wicked ones, but I'm not as bad as them. And if you start to play that comparison game and think that you can lock up to God on that last day and play that comparison card, I'm okay because I'm not as bad as the next person, you're going to be in for a rude shock on Judgment Day. Romans chapter 2 is all about the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And that is our biggest problem. It's there in chapter 2, verse 5. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up, not treasures in heaven, we're storing up wrath, anger, God's measured, calculated, just, right, fair response to evil. We're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of wrath, for judgment day. And there is going to be a day when we will face our maker and his judgments will be just. And that is why 
we need to reintroduce the wrath of God into our gospel. Because only when you've understood what you've been rescued from will you appreciate how glorious and majestic and marvelous the Lord Jesus Christ really is. I think many of us are just satisfied with this this weak version of Jesus because we've never appreciated what he's actually rescued us from. We're going to learn two things about God's judgment and, and two ways that that liberates us. Here's the first one. God's judgment is righteous. That word is so comforting. That word is so good, isn't it? Then verse 5. On the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. It's so comforting because as I face that day of wrath, I can be confident that, that God's judgment will be fair. They'll be good. They'll be just. They will be upright. There'll be no complaints. There'll be no complaints on judgment day because his judgment is totally fair. Now, isn't that what you want in any kind of judgment? You just want justice to be done? When, when you see someone commit an offense, you want justice. When you see someone do something good, you want them to be rewarded. And Paul is saying, on judgment day, that is, that's exactly the way that God will judge you. At verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he's done. It's a quote from Psalm 62. He's saying, you'll get what your deeds deserve. On that last day, it's all laid out there. Every thought, every word, every deed, every good thing, every bad thing, and you'll be judged on your works. Now, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, I hope you're sort of screaming at me at that point, saying, no, Paul, that's heresy. You're not judged on your works. You're judged on grace. It's all about faith. I want to say, yeah, it is all about grace. Of course you're saved by grace but you're still going to be judged on your works. And that's why you need grace. You're going to be judged according to what you've done. On that last day, I'm going to stand before my maker, and he'll say, yeah, Paul Dale did that, and he was a, a lousy sinner there, and he did that thing wrong, and he did that thing right. And at that point, I need my Savior to step in and say, but I died for him. I, I covered that sin. He's mine. You know, of course you're saved by grace but you're still going to be judged on what you've done. And that's why you need Jesus to step in in your place. Unless you've understood that there's going to be a day when all your deeds will be exposed and laid bare, you will never really marvel at how glorious Jesus is. Like the psalmist, we should be saying, Lord, if you marked my transgressions, I could never stand. But thank you for Jesus. God's judgment is going to be righteous. And so Paul paints this scenario in verse 7. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. If you're here tonight and you spend every day of your life and you're always focused on God's glory and you're always focused on God's honor and you're always focusing on that afterlife of being with your Savior, if you live that perfect life, then yeah, God would give you eternal life. But I'm pretty sure that nobody here does that. I'm pretty sure that most of us are in verse 8. 
that we're self-seeking and we reject the truth and we follow evil. And so we deserve, what we deserve is there, end of verse 8, wrath and anger. We deserve, verse 9, the trouble and distress. And what Jesus gives us is what we don't deserve, which is verse 7, eternal life. And I hope that's clear. It's such a complex argument. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by the blood of Jesus. But you are judged by your works, and that's why you need the blood of Jesus. God's judgment will be fair. There'll be no wrongly accused, no wrong sentence. And I find that a real comfort. Uh, the second thing about God's judgment is this. God's judgment is impartial. That beautiful phrase in verse 11 for God does not show favoritism. Literally the phrase there is God does not receive the face. God doesn't receive the face. What it means is God doesn't look at somebody and thinks, ah, oh, they, look, look, they look like a nice person. Uh, they're good looking. They're smartly dressed. Uh, they're they're kind of the, the kind of person that I want on my team. He, he doesn't judge according to our outward appearance. He's not like us. Admit it. That's how we judge people. Someone walks through our church doors and, and we give them the, the eye from the top to the bottom and we immediately make, make a, a judgment call as to whether they are part of our crowd or not. And we pigeonhole them without knowing their circumstances and we just judge people based on the externals. God doesn't do that. God looks at the heart. No favoritism. And on Judgment Day, that is such a comfort. You know, that nobody can pull out the excuse card. Oh, God, yeah, but, but look at my family background. Uh, yes, God, but look at that emotional crisis I was going through at that time. Uh, yeah, but God, I, I was the poor person, and, and they were all the rich people. Uh, I wasn't educated. Uh, there's none of that. God's judgment is totally impartial. No matter what your background is, you still need Jesus. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's hard to capture the shock of verses 12 to 16. The Jews will be shocked because they will say, of course God shows us favor to them. We're his people. No, verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. That's a Gentile. They don't have the law. But all who sin under the law will be judged by that law. You Jews have got the law. But it's not about having the law, verse 13. It's about those who obey the law. It's no good knowing what the Bible says. You're supposed to do what the Bible says. And please don't say to me, okay, better off not having the law. No, verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, we don't have the written code in our hands, but we do by nature, just by being human, the things required by the law. Some people just know that it's right to be kind and it's wrong to steal by nature. Well, they're a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. Since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their consciences bear witness. He's basically saying, you might not have a written law, but you've got your conscience. And as a human being, we know what is right and we know what is wrong. We are moral human beings. That's the argument. And so whether you've had the law or just got your conscience on that last day, you'll have no excuse before God and he will show no favorites. And that's all part of the gospel, isn't it? 
verse 16, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets. I, I don't like that word, secrets. God will judge even the things that I want to keep hidden from you. God will judge all the things I, I, I don't want other people to know about me. My slander, my pride, my anger, my revengeful thoughts, my jealousy. But they'll all be there on, on judgment day. But the comfort is the next three words. Who's going to judge me? Who will judge men's secrets, verse 16, through Jesus Christ. Now that's the comfort. That your saviour is your judge. Have you grasped that? The one who's going to judge you on judgment day is the same one who spread his arms for you at Calvary. The one who's going to judge you on that day is the same one who spilled his blood for you. And that's why he's going to say, yes, you did all these things, but I died for you, and you're mine, and you're forgiven. And that's why God's judgment must be part of our gospel. Let me say that you will, you will cheapen the gospel if you miss out the coming wrath of God. Your, your preacher Jesus, who is just a, a quick fix for your five-minute high, or a Jesus who's your best friend in times of loneliness, instead of the Jesus who saves you from the coming wrath of God. And when you've understood that about Judgment Day, it is right, and there's no favoritism. It is totally liberating, because your life now is all about Jesus. Now, let me just show you. It, it liberates you, firstly, from from your moral superiority, from your self-righteousness. It's there in verse 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other person, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. He's talking about the people who, who look down on other people. They read chapter 1 about the adulterer and the gossip and the slanderer and they think, such wicked, evil people. And they don't realize that they themselves are, are sinners in need of Jesus. You might not do the same thing, but all of us need Jesus. I was driving over the Anzac Bridge on Friday afternoon, Friday morning rather, and I went over Anzac Bridge, there's one of those policemen with those, those laser guns, those speed guns. And my, my, my face went straight down to the speedo. What is the speed limit? What, how fast am I going? And then my next thought was, well, shouldn't these, these cops be out after the hooning Subaru drivers, not middle-class Mazda 3 drivers? I mean, come on, I'm only going 65K. I, I, we just do that all the time. We, we look at other people and we think that, that they are worse than us. And what understanding that we're all going to be judged, no favoritism, a level playing field, it says, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. You need Jesus, and I need Jesus, and I'm no better than you, and I'm no worse than you. We're all sinners saved by the blood of Jesus. There's that sort of self-righteous, morally superior person lurking inside each one of us, isn't there? Chapter 2, verse 2. You know the God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. You know that. Well, take the, the plank out of your own eye. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, not, not exactly the same things, but different things, but they're still wrong things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? I do it all the time. 
oh, you know, my impatience isn't as bad as that person's adultery. My greed isn't as bad as your lies. And there's that Pharisee inside us that wants to just play the comparison game. And the fact that God is going to judge us all without favoritism, it just levels the playing field. It totally changes the way that you look at other people. So here's my observation. Most of us have a, a very high standard for other people and a comfortably low standard for ourselves. A very high standard for other people and a comfortably low standard for ourselves. And when you've understood Judgment Day and your need for Jesus, it's a level playing field. I need God's mercy just as much as that other person. And my battles are different to your battles. I know what I'm like. You know what you're like. Stop judging other people and point them to Jesus. When Rachel and I were dating, uh, many of you might know, I married a a widow with a five-year-old child. And just the way that people judged us, a a pastor dating a single mum, and there were letters written to the diocese about us, and people not knowing the circumstances, and they just judged us based on what they saw. But you know what God did through that, that circumstance? He really taught Rachel and I how much we judge other people as well. We just make assumptions based on what we see. And what we need to do is say, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, you're no better than me, you're no worse than me, we all need Jesus. Please stop judging other people based on what you see and just point them to Jesus. The last thing it does, it liberates us from religious superiority. That's the Jews here. They think that they are safe because they're religious people. Verse 17, they, they, they call themselves Jews. They rely on the law. They brag about their covenant relationship to God and they know God's will and they approve of what's superior and they're convinced that they're there to be a, a guide for the blind and to bring the light of the gospel to people. They know all that stuff. But they're very religious on the outside but Paul kind of fixed their balloon of religious pride and burst their bubble and says, but it's not enough to know all that stuff and to do all these rituals if you don't put it into practice. Verse 21, you then who teach others, don't you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? He's saying, look, it's very easy to be religious. It's one thing to teach it. It's another thing to do it. Someone once said to me, uh, there are really five gospel accounts. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, there's John, and there's your life. And most people don't read the first four, but they do read the fifth one. And it's no good being just religious. I don't care how many times you come to church on the weekend. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible through. I don't care how many rosters you're on. I don't care how many times you play music in the band. I don't care how much stuff you do at church. It's not about doing stuff. It's about loving Jesus and trusting in his blood and serving him in response. Please don't play the religion card and think that you can stand before your your, your judge on that last day just because you've been religious. Do you see how understanding the wrath of God is totally liberating? It's totally liberating. 
We're all going to face it, every man, woman, and child. But we all need Jesus. And what it does, it says, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. The man on the street's not good enough. None of us are. And we all need Jesus. And we stop the comparison game. We stop the moral superiority card. We rip it up. And we stop the religion games. And we start to just serve and preach and adore our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one who can save us from that day of wrath. And that is good news, isn't it? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you don't show favorites. I thank you you don't, you don't judge us based on our background or our intellect or our appearance. And thank you that no one is beyond the blood of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that on that last day that you will judge fairly and we know that your son will step in. I thank you, Lord, for that great comfort and assurance. And I pray that you would help us to stop judging others and to stop trusting in our works and to trust more in our Savior. In his name I pray.